With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast, Miller and Dace, 23rd day of July. Interestingly enough, the day we record this, which is Monday, the 23rd, uh, the Big Ten Media Day events, just getting ready to uh, begin actually in Chicago. So next week we'll be discussing those things both on the Hawkeye Nation podcast as well as the Bigger Ten podcast. But this week let's take a uh, deeper dive into Steve Dace's 2018 college football preview, which as we've mentioned before, maybe you're just hearing this, maybe you took the summer off, welcome back. Um, Dace put his preview this year into a PDF. He even put pictures in there and has images. It actually looks like legit um, not just something he did on the back of a uh, napkin, which was fine for a number of years, but this actually looks pretty darn good. You can find that if you go to his Twitter handle, at Michigan Podcast. Um, he has it pinned to the top of his Twitter page. It's a document, a PDF document you can download from Google Drive where he's uploaded it. We'll work on distribution uh, outlets next year. Uh, that's uh, definitely a note for those of you who'd love to get your uh, imaging, your picture, your business out there. I'm sure Dace would take some sponsors for that. Let's um, let's start today with the uh, top 25 most talented rosters in the nation. We'll also share then Steve's end-of-year ranking predictions, which he does a little differently than some places, although as you may have heard a couple of weeks ago, one of the reasons why I think Steve loves the Athlon now is they actually have begun to put their rankings as end-of-the-year, which Steve has done for a number of years. Steve, talk about your your roster rankings, your roster points, how you got there. This is something you threw out last year, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing that um, it must have performed well enough for you to want to try it for another season well you know we talked all of the last we've talked a lot the last couple of years here on the podcast john about how the game has changed you have a certain amount of schools that are recruiting at such an elite level that it almost doesn't matter how many guys they lose early to the nfl they're replenishing their ranks we have so many specialists so much specialization now in college football so many sub packages that the old game of look at Phil Steele's offensive line returning starts and his experience chart, and that's a pretty good place to start from making a top 25 for the preseason, that that's not as relevant uh, as it used to be. I mean, Alabama and Ohio State have been towards the the bottom, the very bottom of Phil Steele's experience chart, and one of those two teams has been in the playoff every year we've had it. All right, so... I wanted to see, could, we, could I come up with a metric that would take into account guys who are playing a lot of downs as a nickelback and, play, and pro football focus says they're great as a nickel corner in a specialization package, and then that guy goes to the NFL, like a Diedrich Ward, for example, was phenomenal. Uh, for, as a, um, is that the guy at Ohio State I'm thinking of, or is Diedrich Ward like the former Northern Iowa player now that I think about it? Who is the, North, the, the Ohio State corner that went number one in this last draft. Ward was his last name, right? But but he was sort of the the, the, the nickel corner for Gary and Conley and Malik Hooker and those guys 
And then, you know, so he's technically not a returning starter, but then he turns out to be like the number five pick in the NFL draft. Okay, so can can we come up with a metric to account to account for this? And so last year, what I introduced and I didn't include it as part of my preview because I wasn't sure I was going to work. I had to test this methodology. I came up with a ranking of the most talented rosters with the intention of saying, what's your ceiling as a roster and what's your floor? Meaning, meaning how much could you really expand uh, based on the raw material you have to develop? And I, I, the first year, I just did this very simply. I went to the 24-7 composite rankings, and I went through the last four recruiting classes. I did not count fifth years because 95% of programs in the Power Five, fifth-year seniors are not a major factor anymore. Guys are leaving early. Guys are playing early now. Uh, there's very few programs that look to redshirt most of their recruiting classes, like Stanford is one. Um, and so if you weren't making an impact as a fourth-year player, chances are you weren't going to just suddenly make one as a fifth-year player. So I just went and looked at the composite recruiting rankings. Were you a five-star, you got five points. A four-star, you got four points. A three-star, you got three points. That's all that I did just to see what would happen. And anything below a three-star required so much development that it was tough to, to – project that and when i came up with those rankings georgia had the second most talented roster in the country and what did we see at the end of the year georgia was in the playoffs well ahead of anybody's preseason expectations and there were other examples of that as well the forecast said that notre dame's roster should rebound strongly from a four and eight season and they did they went ten and three so this year I decided to bring it back, but I wanted to specialize it all the more. So I did the same thing with the recruiting rankings, but I've also now accounted for attrition with grad transfers. So I deducted points if you lost a grad transfer. If you brought one in, I gave you at least three points because even though the person's a fifth-year senior, you're not going to bring him in unless he's going to have a chance to impact the roster. You're not just going to waste a scholarship on right. him. I, I accounted for actual transfers, like a Shea Patterson leaving Ole Miss and, and going to Michigan, for example. And then what I added is I made a judgment call, like on a program like Wisconsin, which right now their offensive line is pretty much like the all-Big Ten preseason offensive line, and all of those guys were two- or three-star prospects. And so if you have shown over the course of your career that you have played above your composite recruiting ranking – then I, I put you up a point. If you were a three-star, you were a four. If you were a two-star, you were a three. Because, again, I wanted to try and, and come up with some sort of metric that included the developmental programs as well. And then, finally, if I had a tie, then I, I gave the tie to the roster that I thought heading into the season was, was the best-looking, immediate, uh, uh, immediately available, talented roster comparing you to that particular peer group. And what came out were these were the top 25 overall, man, one through 85 talented rosters in the country. All right, let's dive into them then. Let's start with uh, number 25, and we'll go 25 through uh, 21 and, and get some of your comments. Virginia Tech is 25 with 273 points. Um, then Mississippi State also with 273. Wisconsin uh, at 23 with 280, Florida at 282, and Washington at 285. Were you surprised by any of that? Not really. Uh, and actually, we should note, these are rosters through July 1. All right, so Virginia Tech has had even more attrition. I mean, they kept sliding down my rankings. They started, when I started working on this in, in late, in mid-May, they were, you know, in the mid-teens. And they, they have been sliding. They've had a terrible off-season. 
Uh, looked like for a while they were going to lose their starting quarterback to academics, but apparently he is going to be eligible. So if we did this again right now, they would likely fall out of the top 25 and maybe somebody like Kentucky would fall, would, would, would rise up there. But I'm not surprised that those are, you know, the those five teams. What you're going to see, there's a lot of parity here. Right. What you're going to see is Washington is at 285 with 21 points. But, you know, that's only that's only 13 points behind Oklahoma at number 16, mm-hmm. which is, again, why I did that coaching metric earlier, because is it it's the age old question. Is it the X's or the O's or the Jimmy's and the Joe's? And John, the answer is yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, can you develop the talent that you have on on on? on your on your roster that's a big game indeed let's go to uh 20 oregon's at 286 then ucla 287 tennessee 291 stanford 297 and oklahoma 298 again we're talking about 12 points separating 20 through 16 um were you surprised that oklahoma was down there at this point i wasn't because comprehensively and i learned this when i did this for the first time last year comprehensively the big 12 is penalized by this metric because it's not even close. This conference relies more on two-year junior or two-year JUCOs than any of the other Power Five leagues. You know, the SEC will infuse you know, even an elite program like in Alabama will put will plug two or three elite JUCOs in a year, but JUCOs are, are a predominant uh, criteria of recruiting in the Big Twelve. And so, when when you come up with a metric that attempts to find out what someone's four-year roster foundation is and you have one league out there that builds a good portion of its rosters anywhere from the extreme at a kansas state where that's most of its roster to an oklahoma right. which has the prestige to recruit a lot of four-year guys but still required uses a lot of jucos the big 12 as a whole is hurt in this metric by its usage of two-year players and i thought about coming up with something to fix that but when we look at the nfl draft every april and may what do we see there john they always have the fewest guys picked mm-hmm. right so until that changes i don't really see a need to change uh, that to include that metric because that metric is still telling us that across the board the big 12 is the least talented conference in america and we see that in the nfl draft every year number 15 miami 299 notre dame 300 michigan also 300 florida state 301 clemson (coughs) excuse me at 303 surprised to see clemson there i was and you know what's interesting is you go back to Clemson's, I think it's their 2014 class, which, you know, that's the Deshaun Watson class. I mean, that, that's a class that won uh, a, a national championship, went to three playoff appearances, and it was ranked 14th in the country, had nine three-star prospects. Hmm. And I, I think we are, we, are, we are sleeping on how, how damn good of a football coach Dabo Sweeney is because – you know, they've got the water slides and, you know, he talks about Jesus and, you know, is he kind of a, you know, a, a southern version of P.J. Fleck. But no, none of the elite programs recruit as, as many three stars as they do. They do a phenomenal job of player development. His team is the only team in America that has finished higher than its preseason ranking in the AP poll eight years in a row. OK, mm. and so what you're seeing with this with this is what Clemson does a great job of. Is they is, is getting a, a handful of elite prospects, and then they go get a handful of unpolished elite athletes that they can then mold into their way of doing things, and that's how they've created the program that they have. With Michigan's number, what's funny is if I'd only done a three-year composite, they'd be top five. 
That first class with Harbaugh where he didn't get hired until December 28th or something, it's one of the lowest scoring senior classes in the Power Five. I'm not kidding. It's like it's amazing, too. It's like Colorado, Kansas and Colorado, and then like Michigan senior class. That's how low Michigan that first that first of those four years for Michigan was one of the worst in the country. Number 10, South Carolina, 306, Penn State, 312, Texas, A&M, 313. USC 315 and Auburn 321. I mean, Texas A&M jumps out at me here. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher, first year there, going to be inheriting, uh, at least according to your rankings, a lot of talent. Um, Indictment of the previous staff, (laughs) why they're not there. Uh, Jimbo set up a little bit of both. Yeah, I think the list so far, and we'll get to LSU here in a second, but I I think – you know, one of the things I, I broke out here with, John, is programs in the country doing the least with the most. UCLA was number five on my list. I mean, in terms of what their roster is to what their win-loss record is. Tennessee's four, Texas A&M three, Texas is number two, LSU's number one. Well, what do all five of those schools have in common? They've all made coaching changes in the last two years. And now we know why. You know, now now we know why their fans are like, why aren't we winning more? And you know what? Their fans, based on when we look at these actual numbers, their fans were right. They should have been winning more. Yeah, they should have been. LSU just talked about number five, 328, uh, still looking to solve that quarterback issue. Texas, 336. Boy, that is a program that is underperforming, maybe is more, more so than anybody. Alabama. 351, Ohio State 355, and Georgia 356. No surprises in the top three. Texas at four, surprised only due to their inclusion, which is not lining up with uh, wins in the left side column. No, they've got uh, three of their last four classes have been consensus top 10 recruiting classes, and the only class that wasn't was the year of the coaching change with Tom Herman. So what this metric is saying it's saying about Texas this year with a second-year coach in Tom Herman what it said about Georgia last year with a second-year head coach in Kirby Smart. If, and that is if they have the right quarterback on their roster. And at this time last year, everybody thought that was Jacob Eason. It turned out to be Jake Fromm, right? If, if it's Sam Ellinger or Shane Bouchelle or Cameron Rising, this prize freshman, if they, can, if they can catch lightning in a bottle with the right quarterback the team can rally around, then this metric says Texas is best positioned to be this year's Georgia, meaning the roster is there for a second-year coach to take a massive leap. All right, um, best bang for your buck programs. You talked a little about this a few moments ago. Um, Clemson, number one. You mentioned the incredible string of eight years outperforming their preseason ranking. Northwestern, number two. Wisconsin, number three. Kansas State, four. And then a tie at fifth. Michigan State and Boston College. So with Northwestern at number two, their projections must be lower half of FBS, but they consistently finish higher than that. Um, Obviously, Wisconsin... Uh, Wisconsin's a three-star recruiting program, you know, 3.1, 3.2 in most years, but they are getting a ton. And Kansas State, likely because of the JUCO angle. Yes. I mean, you look at Northwestern, they've won 27 games the last three years, and my metric right now has Northwestern man 1 through 85, the least overall least talented roster in the Big Ten heading into the season. Hmm. And then programs doing the least with most, LSU and Texas, both aforementioned, Texas A&M as well, Tennessee and uh, UCLA. And Texas A&M, Tennessee, UCLA, all making coaching changes uh, in the offseason. Let's move on to your season-ending 
top 25. I'll scroll. I mean, there's so many pages in this. I have to scroll and actually search for things in like the old days. There we go. Top 25. I think I've found it. There we go. Let's go down to 25. We'll start there. Number 25. These are different than your roster rankings. This is when you factor everything else and you factor in schedule. You factor in how you think these teams or teams are going to perform one loss all season long so that this is how you think things play out. Number 25, Boise State. 24, USC. Number 23, Texas A&M. Number 22, Florida. And number 21, West Virginia. Anything, I mean, seeing UC, USC at 24, probably going to be lower than all these preseason polls. But again, this is your projection of what happens, your projection of them with a young quarterback. Um, did, were you surprised by anything that wound its way here? Because really, when I say you're surprised by your ranking, some folks might think that's a weird question. But basically, mm-hmm. you're projecting the whole season. So, I'm sure that after you do these projections, you're kind of excited to see how teams fared because you can't keep a running total of everyone. Were you surprised by these projections for the, any of these teams here at the bottom of your top 25? Not really. Um, these are all with the exception of Boise State. Um, and we'll get to Florida Atlantic in a minute. I think Boise State or Florida Atlantic, maybe San Diego State in there. One of those three is going to be the New Year New Year's Six representative from the group of five. So that means I think Boise State's probably going to go about 11 and two, something like that. Uh, with USC, A&M, Florida, West Virginia, I think all of these teams are probably eight and four, nine and three type of type of teams. USC is one of the tougher teams I had to project because in my roster evaluation, and we're going to do, I'm going to explain this a lot more when we get to the bigger 10. I did something new for this year I've never done before. I did full spreadsheets on the various position groups, and then I I factored in, including special teams, and then I factored in your road conference schedule, who you have to play on the road in your own league. And if if it's the Pac-12, I went, you know, you got 12 points for the best and one point for the worst right on down the line. And I I ranked all these teams and added the numbers up and, you know, found out, you know, who's – when you combine schedule with depth, and that's what I use the roster evaluation for, and then how I rank the players they have in their starting units right now. Now, USC is one of the toughest ones because this is still on paper second to Washington in the Pac-12. But they they are basically starting a high school senior quarterback in JT Daniels, and they're not and they play Texas and Notre Dame in the non-conference, and then nine games in the Pac-12. And, and so when I looked at their schedule, um, and with and and that big hole at quarterback, I've got to believe and Texas. Um, and I've got to believe that that, that young quarterback is going to cost him a couple of games there, mm-hmm. even though overall this is one of the best rosters in the Pac-12. All right, number 20, Oregon, number 19. I think to Oregon was number 20 in your roster strength as well. Number 19, Florida Atlantic, 18, Iowa, 17, South Carolina, and 16, Stanford. Since this is the HN podcast, let's focus in on Iowa. I think that that might raise a few eyebrows. It raises mine. To me, when I see Iowa at 18, that automatically makes me think you're at least picking Iowa with a minimum of nine wins. My hunch is is that you have them exactly at nine and three, and I have not looked at your Big Ten projections, something we'll do for the Bigger Ten podcast. But uh, that probably is a lot to do with their schedule this year. I agree. I mean, and I even note that in the in the the write-up I do for each team in, in, in Iowa's. I mean, here's four of Iowa's five road games this year. Minnesota, Indiana, Purdue, and Illinois. Find me two losses there. Hmm. I mean, you, 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 
if you assume Purdue will be better in year two, see, I kind of think they might actually regress a little bit, but because um, their schedule is tough too. Uh, they've got they're playing both Missouri and Boston College in the non-conference. But, you know, that's also a big revenge game for Iowa. And Ferentz typically does well in those spots. So you're right. I have Iowa going 9-3. and three. I love the schedule. I, I, I can see an ambush of Wisconsin, in a, in a, you know, there at Kinnick Stadium like we've seen. Like my Wolverines went through a couple of years ago, like Ohio State went through last year. And, and here's, here's in terms of personnel, here's what I like. You know, you can't hide your quarterback in college football, John. You've been listening to me say that for almost 20 years now, right? Mm-hmm. And the position group that sets the men apart from the boys in college football is what? Defensive, Defensive line. Defensive line. And what I like is they've got a record-setting quarterback, and I think maybe the deepest defensive line Kirk Ferentz has ever had. And when I when you look at those, when you can go to war with, they got holes in some other spots. They got to find new tailbacks. They got to rebuild and revamp a lot of the offensive line, um, a lot of the secondary. But when your building blocks are the two, what I think are the two most important positions in college football, and you're set there and you're proven there. For the most part, I think I'm I, I'm comfortable projecting what I think Iowa can do based on the defensive front, based on the numbers and what I've already seen. But you throw that in with this schedule, and I and I think Iowa is an easy over the seven and a half win total, and that'll be a podcast we'll do in a couple of weeks. Uh, number ten, uh, let's see, number fifteen, Notre Dame, fourteen, Michigan State, uh, thirteen, Florida State, twelve, Oklahoma. And 11, Auburn. My hunch is that Oklahoma is going to be your highest-ranked Big 12 team. Um, Anything surprising you hear? And I know Michigan State's a team that you feel can be really good this year as long as they stay healthy again. It looks like you're betting on the health holding up, but obviously uh, you can't control that. Right. And no, Oklahoma is not my highest-ranked Big 12 team. but. Mm. There's there's some questions with this all of this group of teams, which is why there's a lot to like, but why I don't have them in the top ten. If you look at Auburn, you know, and we talked about this as a trend line last week. What this team does coming off, they've not had back to back double digit win seasons since 1988-89. That's like Tracy Rocker, Reggie Slack. Okay, that, that's I mean that's before dial up modems, guys. That, that's a long time ago. That's when like they were running ads this new thing email i mean that that's that's a long time they don't handle success well now much like iowa though they start with maybe you can make the argument best quarterback in the sec obviously you have drew lock at missouri but jared stidham is no slouch i think they absolutely have the best defensive front seven in the sec but the schedule all of auburn's toughest games the opener against washington and at the end of the year georgia and alabama all of those games are away from jordan Hare stadium so i'm concerned about that here's what i'm concerned about with oklahoma defensively they're just not any good and they haven't been good for several years now but they're in the big 12 so how much does that really matter i wonder about kyler murray and here's what i wonder I wonder about the fact the A's have said you're playing this year and no more. You've got millions of dollars in the bank. You're 5'10 and 186 pounds. And your best weapon as a quarterback is your ability to run the ball in the zone read. You see where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. Okay. How many hits does Tyler, does Kyler Murray really want to take? How many? I mean, because to me, there's, there's the threat of Kyler Murray running the ball. And I think that... That that makes Oklahoma's offense much more dangerous, and then there is a five foot ten quarterback staying in the pocket 
and you'd probably prefer that if you're going up against him defensively. So that's that's something I would watch for for Florida State. I, I think that um, it's 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 a matter of I I think they're going to make a big jump. They were they way underperformed last year and never really recovered from the injury to DeAndre Francois. So I think they'll make a big jump, but they've got some tough games on that schedule as well, like uh, Notre Dame on the road, Clemson, etc. So I kind of split the difference with them. I could see them going anywhere from 11 and one to eight and four. So I kind of split the difference at a good nine and three. And then Michigan State, we've talked about the entire offseason. It, it's it, it's it's frontline players are as good as anybody in the Big Ten, but man, behind them, they don't have anything close to the depth of the other Big Three. In the, in the Big Ten East half. And then there's Notre Dame, much like Auburn. They don't handle success well. This was another trend we had last week. They average a 5.2 win decline since 1993, hmm. the year after winning double-digit games. But when I look at their schedule, you know, you have Stanford there, Florida State there, Michigan there, USC there, Virginia Tech. All right, so those are five tough games. When I looked at the other seven games, I'm like, they're going to win all of those. And you had to think maybe they split some combination of two and three, three and five in those other five games, and that's probably good enough to be in the top 15 somewhere. All right, number 10, there's your big uh, 12 team, Texas. Wisconsin at number nine, Penn State at number eight, Miami at number seven, and Georgia. Georgia at six, kind of a drop down from what most people are expecting for them. Well, you look at Georgia last year, they just dominated. Their average win total last year was 25.4 points per game. That's crazy, particularly in a league as good as the one they're playing. They lost a ton on defense. They lost 25 seniors. I think I think offensively they're going to be even better. Uh, so and and the schedule is soft. But what I but I don't think that there's I, I don't think there's any chance. Well, let me say unless two in the SEC championship game, and it's like a last second overtime kind of loss. Politically, I think there's almost no chance a second team not named Alabama gets into the SEC champ or gets into the, the playoff because of what happened last year. All right. Mm-hmm. And I do think this is a political process. And so that's why I have Georgia outside of the top four. Um, I think Miami got back a year ahead of schedule last year. I think they'll win double digit games again. Uh, Penn State, this year's Michigan in the Big Ten, where they unquestionably had the most losses. But they have one huge advantage that Harbaugh didn't have last year, and that is a proven elite level quarterback. And that can cover a multitude of sins. And I think Trace McSorley will have a monster year, and he's going to have to because their defense is being almost completely rebuilt. Uh, Wisconsin is is who they, we know who they are, but this year the schedule reverses. All of their tough games, all of their main challengers, Purdue, the West, all on the road. Michigan and Penn State also on the road. So I, I got to think they lose a couple of those games and then probably don't win the Big Ten championship. And then Texas, you know, I was high on Texas last year because of that stat for Tom Herman's year one. I went into this offseason way down on them. And then I did my roster talent evaluation, and I looked at the numbers, and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm seeing this wrong. And then I looked at the stat of teams who lose so many close games the year before and what they do the next year. And and six of Texas's losses last year, or I'm sorry, four of their six losses were by five points or less. So when you throw in, they have overall clearly the most talented roster in this league. You throw in the the how the the pendulum swing on close losses. Um, that's why I went with Texas, giving them the nod to win the Big 12 this year. All right, number five, Ohio State. Number four, Michigan. 
number three, Washington, number two, Alabama, and number one, Clemson. So you're uh, betting on Michigan finally pulling it together this year for Jim Harbaugh. Obviously, Shea Patterson at quarterback uh, will be big for them, debatably. The best defense – well, one of the best defenses in the country. It's hard for me to go with anybody other than Clemson, given what they have returning along the defensive line, which is basically an NFL first-round draft all across from left to right. Uh, But Michigan you have at 3-4, which means you probably have them winning the Big Ten. Well, if you look at these rankings in the big picture, Michigan 4, Ohio State 5, Penn State 8, Michigan State 14. Those are the top four teams in the East, right? You know what that basically says? If I am off by like one game when all those four teams play each other, you literally just take those four teams and draw them out of a hat and get a totally different order. It's it's that close with those four teams. It's that close. So um, the nudge here goes to Michigan because when you look at the numbers and when you go to the spreadsheet breakdown, they unquestionably have the best defense. I think it, I think this is the 2016 team that had the 14 guys that went on to NF, went on to the pros, but with a pro quarterback in Shea Patterson. Um, and, you know, it's there's been this trend where, like, in 2015, you know, Penn, Michigan State had their year. 2016, Penn State had their year. Last year was Ohio State's year. Like, all four of the big teams in the East have kind of all had their year. And in 2015, everybody picked Ohio State, and it was Michigan State. In 2016, everybody picked Ohio State, and it was Penn State. Last year, a lot of people picked Penn State. And it was Ohio State. And so that's also the, – that's been the trend line in this East Division is it's kind of been everybody gets their turn, and then it's the one team that – it's usually not the team everybody's picking that particular year. I mean, Ohio State got to the playoff without winning even its own division in 2016, for example. But I went through these schedules in the East, John, until I pulled the last – group. I went to a five-head, six-head. I went to a six-head. I pulled so many hairs out of my head going through the Pac-12 South and and the Big Ten East. And I finally just decided, you know what, I'm I, I, one game off throws the whole thing off. And so if anybody wants to come at me, bro, on this, you have a good case because these teams and these schedules are that close. Hmm. All right, let's move on to uh, bowl projections. Orange Bowl, national semifinal, Michigan-Clemson and Cotton Bowl, which is the other national semifinal, Washington versus Alabama. Rose Bowl, Stanford versus Ohio State. Sugar Bowl, Texas versus Georgia. Fiesta Bowl, Florida Atlantic against Wisconsin. And the Peach Bowl, Penn State against Miami. That is a very strong Big Ten flavor there. It is, and again, going back to what we just talked about, I think you could take the Big Ten teams that are in here, and it, you could you could pick the same four teams, and um, have just a totally different. And I, we haven't gotten to Michigan State. I think I have them in the Citrus Bowl or Outback Bowl. So you take take those five teams, and the entire bowl slotting of those five teams could be totally different. That's. That's why I don't think anybody's getting – that's why I think we're going to have a two-loss team in the playoff this year. I don't think anybody's getting out of the Big Ten without two losses. I don't think anybody is. Uh, Citrus Bowl, Iowa-Auburn, Outback Bowl, LSU, Michigan State. Let's stop there for a second. Iowa-Auburn, how do you feel Iowa would match up against an Auburn? I think that's one of those games I, – I, I would be curious about motivation for Auburn because we saw this in the Peach Bowl last year against Central Florida – 
when Auburn beat the top two teams in the in the in the college football playoff and ended up with a four loss season. <laughs> All right. So I would wonder in terms of personnel, it's not even close, man. I mean, it, there's there's a half dozen guys on Iowa's team tops that would start for, start for Auburn. I, I think this is the most talented team Gus Malzahn's had, including the 2013 team that almost won the national championship. But I would wonder about motivation. You know, I, I'd wonder if a Jared Stidham would, for example, say, why am I playing in this game? I'm going pro. You know, and so I think all things being equal, these teams played like, you know, in a non-conference game in September on a neutral field. I'd have Auburn a 10 or 14 point favorite. But in this scenario where several of Auburn guys or Auburn's guys are probably looking ahead to the NFL. Absolutely. An Iowa program could ambush them in a bowl game setting like this. You bet. And then Holiday Bowl, Nebraska versus Oregon, and then going down here, let's just leave that be, and we'll talk more about others in the Bigger Ten podcast, which is coming up next, or coming up here simultaneously. We'll drop both podcasts at the same time, so if you want more Big Ten college football Steve Dace, uh, 2018 College Football Preview, which will also include some more Iowa conversations. By all means, please go subscribe to the Bigger 10 podcast. That's 10 spelled out T-E-N, and get more of your football fix. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you then.